Section eleven of the Freedman's Book by Lydia Maria Child. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Toussaint L'Ouverture, Part two, by L. Maria Child. Bayassou was so enraged by the contemptuous manner in which their deputies had been treated, that he gave orders to put to death all the white prisoners in their camps. But Toussaint remonstrated, and succeeded in saving their lives. His superior intelligence gave him great influence, and he always exerted it on the side of humanity. He also manifested extraordinary courage and sagacity in the very difficult position in which he was placed. He was surrounded by conflicting parties, fighting against each other, agreeing only in one thing, and that was hostility to the negroes, all of them ready to make the fairest promises and to break them as soon as they had gained their object. France was in a state of revolutionary confusion, and rumors were very contradictory. One thing was certain. Their former masters were fighting against the King of France and instinct led them to take the other side. Toussaint deemed it wisest to keep under the protection of their Spanish allies, and fight with them for the king's party. By a succession of battles he gained possession of several districts in the mountains, where he entrenched his forces strongly, and tried to bring them under regular military discipline. He was very strict, and allowed no disobedience of orders. He forbade his soldiers to go about plundering or revenging past injuries. His motto was, No Retaliation, a noble Christian motto, totally disregarded by men whose opportunities for enlightened education were a thousand times greater than his. When he felt himself secure in the mountain districts, he invited the white planters of that region to return and cultivate the estates which they had abandoned in their terror. He promised them that their persons and property should be protected, and he faithfully kept his word. In his language and in his actions he was always saying to the whites, Why will you force us to fight? I cherish no revenge against you. All I want is the freedom of my race. His energy and ingenuity in availing himself of every resource and supplying every deficiency were truly wonderful. On one occasion a map was greatly needed, in order to plan some important campaign, and no map could be procured. Toussaint, having made diligent inquiries of various persons well acquainted with the portion of the country to be traversed, employed himself in making a map. By help of the little geometry taught him by his godfather, he projected a map and marked down the important towns, mountains, and rivers, with the distances between them. No trait in the character of Toussaint Breda was stronger than his domestic affections. He was devotedly attached to his wife and children, and he had not seen them for seven months. At last an interval of quiet enabled him to visit the Spanish part of the island, whither he had sent them for security. The Spanish authorities, in acknowledgment of his services, received him with the greatest distinction. Toussaint thanked them but humbly ascribed his successes to a superintending providence. Always strict in religious observances, he went to the church to offer prayers. His general, the Spanish Marquis Sermona, seeing him kneel to partake of the communion, said, In this lower world God visits no purer soul than his. 
but the Spanish had no regard for the rights and welfare of the Negroes. They used them while they had need of their help, and were ready to oppress them when it served their own interests. News came from France that the Republican Party were triumphant, and that the King had been beheaded. The Spanish had nothing further to gain by adhering to the defeated Royalist Party. Accordingly, Spain and Britain entered into a league to divide the island of St. Domingo between them, and restore slavery. On the contrary, the Republican Party in France, assembled in convention at Paris, February 1794, proclaimed freedom to the slaves in all the French colonies, and as the government was now in their hands, there was no doubt of their having power to protect those they had emancipated. Under these circumstances, there was but one course for Toussaint to take. He left the Spanish and joined the French forces, by whom he was received with acclamation. His rude bands of untaught negroes had now become a well-disciplined army. They were proud of their commander and almost worshipped him. Under his guidance they performed wonders, proving themselves equal to any troops in the world. Toussaint was on horseback night and day. It seemed as if he never slept. Wherever he was needed, he suddenly appeared, and as he seemed to be wanted in twenty places at once, his followers thought he had some powers of witchcraft to help him. But the witchcraft consisted in his superior intelligence, his remarkable activity, his iron constitution, and his iron will. His heart was never of iron. In the midst of constant warfare, he paid careful attention to the raising of crops. And if women and children, black or white, were suffering with hunger, he caused them to be supplied with food. He and his brave officers and troops everywhere drove the English before them. The French general, Laveau, appointed him second to himself in command and in his proclamation to that effect he declared, This is the man who the Abbe Renal foretold would rise to be the liberator of his oppressed race. One day when he had gained some important advantage, a white officer exclaimed, General Toussaint makes an opening everywhere. His black troops heard the words, and feeling that he had made an opening for them, from the dungeon of slavery to the sunlight of freedom, they shouted, L'Ouverture, L'Ouverture, which being translated into English means the opening. From that day henceforth he was called Toussaint L'Ouverture. The English general Maitland, finding him so formidable, wished to have a conference with him to negotiate terms of accommodation. The request was granted, and such was his confidence in the black chieftain that he went to his camp with only three attendants through miles of country full of armed negroes. One of the French officers wrote to General Toussaint that it would be an excellent opportunity to take the English commander prisoner. General Maitland was informed of this while he was on his way, but he said, I will trust General Toussaint. He never breaks his promise. When he arrived, General Toussaint handed him two letters, saying, there is a letter I have received, advising me to detain you as prisoner. And there is my reply. I wish you to read them before we proceed to business, that you may know I am incapable of such a base action. The answer he had written was, 
I have promised this Englishman my protection, and he shall have it. The English, seeing little prospect of conquering him by force, or outwitting him by stratagem, tried to bribe him to their interest. They offered to make him king of St. Domingo, to establish him with a sufficient naval force, and give freedom to the blacks, if he would come over to their side. But the English still held slaves in the neighboring islands, while the French had proclaimed emancipation in all their colonies. He felt grateful to the Republican government of France, and he resolved to stand by it. The only crown he coveted was the freedom of his race. He pursued the English vigorously, till he drove them from the island. Yet he had no desire to harm them, any further than was inevitable for the protection of his people. An English naval officer, named Rainsford, being driven on the coast of St. Domingo by a violent storm, was arrested as a spy. A court-martial was held, at which General Christophe presided, in the absence of General Toussaint. Rainsford was convicted and sentenced to die. He was put into a dungeon to wait till the sentence was signed by General Toussaint. The women of the island pitied the stranger, and often sent him fruit and sweetmeats. When Toussaint returned, he examined into the case, and said, The trial appears to have been fair, and the sentence just, according to the rules of war. But why should we execute this stranger? He is alone, and can do us no harm. His death would break his mother's heart. Let us have compassion on her. Let us send him home, that he may tell the English what sort of people we are, and advise them not to attempt to reduce us to slavery. Having cleared the island of foreign enemies, Toussaint exerted all his abilities to restore prosperity. He discharged the greater part of the regular troops, and sent them to till the soil. At that time, men were afraid to trust to immediate unconditional emancipation. They had not then learned by experiment that it is the wisest policy, as well as the truest justice. Toussaint feared that when the former slaves were disbanded from the army, they would sink into laziness and vice and thus cause the name of freedom to be evil spoken of. Therefore, with the view of guarding public morals, he instituted a kind of apprenticeship. He ordained that they should work five years for their masters, on condition of receiving one-fourth of the produce, out of which the cost of their subsistence was to be defrayed. Regulations were made by which the laborers became a sort of proprietors of the soil, but I do not know what were the terms. He did everything to encourage agriculture, and tried to impress on the minds of the blacks that the permanence of their freedom depended in great measure upon their becoming owners and cultivators of land. He proclaimed a general amnesty to men of all colors and all parties, even to those who had fought with the English against their own country. He invited the return of all fugitives who were willing to become good citizens and by public discourses and proclamations promised them pardon for the past and protection for the future. Before any important measure was carried into execution, he summoned all the people to church, where, after prayers were offered, he discoursed to them upon the prospects of the Republic, and what he considered essential to its future peace and prosperity. He ordered prayers to be said night and morning at the head of the regiments. 
the discipline of the army was so strict that some accused him of severity but the soldiers almost idolized him which i think they would not have done if he had not proved to them that he was just as well as strict after such a long period of foreign and civil war it required a very firm and judicious hand to restore order and security his troops once lawless and savage had become perfectly orderly under his regulations they committed no thefts on the plantations and no pillage in the cities he opened to all nations an unrestricted commerce with st domingo and he had the honor of being the first ruler in the world who introduced a system of free trade in the distribution of offices he sought out the men that were best fitted without regard to complexion in many things he seemed to favor the whites more than the blacks probably from his extreme fear of not being impartial perhaps also because he knew the whites distrusted him and needed to be conciliated while people of his own color had entire confidence in him but the most obstinate prejudices gradually gave way before the wisdom and uprightness of his government white planters who had been accustomed to talk of him as a revolted slave and a lawless brigand began to acknowledge that he was a conscientious man and a wise legislator a general feeling of security prevailed activity in business was restored and wealth began to flow in through its former channels but with all his prudence and efforts at universal conciliation he could not at once heal the old animosities that had so long rankled in the breasts of men some of the returned french planters resumed their old habits of haughtiness and contempt toward the negroes some of the proprietors both white and black in their haste to grow rich overworked their laborers and in addition to these causes of irritation it was whispered round that the whites were influencing the french government to restore slavery in one of the northern districts a proposition was made to disband the black troops this excited suspicion and they rose in rebellion buildings were fired and three hundred whites slaughtered toussaint hastened to the scene of action and by assurances and threats quelled the tumult the command of that district was in the hands of general moise the son of toussaint's brother paul he disliked the system of conciliation pursued toward the whites and had expressed his opinions in terms less respectful than was proper toward a man of his uncle's age and character the agricultural returns from his district had been smaller than from other portions of the island and when toussaint remonstrated with him for neglecting that department he replied whatever my old uncle may see fit to do i cannot consent to be the executioner of my race by causing them to be worked to death all your orders are given in the name of france but to serve france is to serve the interests of the whites and i shall never love the whites till they give me back the eye i lost in battle when the insurrection broke out in his district the relatives of the slaughtered whites complained to general toussaint that his nephew had not taken any efficient measures to put down the riot and the black insurgents excused themselves by saying general moise approved of their rising a court-martial was held and general moise and several of the ringleaders were condemned to be shot the execution of this sentence excited a good deal of ill-feeling toward toussaint 
he was loudly accused of favoring the whites more than he did his own color and to this day it is remembered against him in the island it certainly is the harshest action recorded of toussaint l'ouverture but it must be remembered that he had invited the whites to come back and had given them promises of protection because he thought the peace and prosperity of the island could best be promoted in that way and having done so it was his duty to see that their lives and property were protected moreover he knew that the freedom of his race depended upon their good behavior after they were emancipated and that insurrections would furnish the french government with a pretext for reducing them to slavery again if he punished any of the ringleaders with death he could not without partiality pardon his own nephew who had been condemned by the same court-martial in this matter it is fair to judge toussaint by his general character and that leaves no room to doubt that severity was painful to him and that when he resorted to it he was actuated by motives for the public good that he forgave offences against himself was shown by his treatment of the mulattoes who made trouble in the island about the same time they had never been pleased to see one of the black slaves whom they had always despised placed in a situation which made him so much superior to any of themselves they manifested their dissatisfaction in a variety of ways they did their utmost to increase the feeling that he showed partiality to the whites in several instances attempts were made to take his life at one time the plume in his military cap was shot away on another occasion balls passed through his carriage and his coachman was killed but he happened to be riding off on horseback in another direction this hostile feeling led the mulattoes to an extensive conspiracy to excite rebellion against his government toussaint was forewarned of it and the attempt was put down eleven of the leaders were carried to the cape and imprisoned toussaint called a meeting of the civil and military authorities and ordered the building to be surrounded by black troops while the mulatto prisoners were brought in under guard they looked extremely dejected expecting nothing but death but he announced to them that deeming the forgiveness of injuries a christian duty he pardoned what they had attempted to do against him he gave them money to defray their travelling expenses told them they were at liberty to return to their homes and gave orders that they should be protected on the way as he passed out of the building they showered blessings on his head and the air was filled with shouts of long live toussaint l'ouverture these outbreakings of old hatreds were local and short-lived the confidence in toussaint's goodness and ability was almost universal and his popularity was so great with all classes that he might have made himself emperor if he would but through all the changes in france he had been faithful to the french government and now to the habit of loyalty was added gratitude to that government for having proclaimed freedom to his race next to the emancipation of his people he sought to serve the interests of france personal ambition never tempted him from the path of duty when the affairs of the colony seemed to be arranged on a secure basis he manifested willingness to resign the authority which he had used with so much wisdom and impartiality he published a proclamation in which he said 
penetrated with that which is set forth in our lord's prayer forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us i have granted a general amnesty fellow-citizens not less generous than myself endeavor to have the past forgotten receive misled brethren with open arms and let them in the future be on their guard against the snares of bad men civil and military authorities my task is accomplished it now belongs to you to take care that harmony is no more disturbed allow no one to reproach those who went astray but have now returned to their duty but notwithstanding my proclamation of amnesty watch bad men closely and do not spare them if they excite disturbance a sense of honor should guide you all a true confiding peace is necessary to the prosperity of the country it must be your work to establish such a peace take no rest until you have accomplished it the people refused to accept the resignation of their friend and benefactor as they styled him he replied if i undertake the administration of civil affairs i must have a solid rock to stand on and that rock must be a constitutional government feeling the necessity of laws and regulations suited to the altered state of the country he called a meeting of deputies from all the districts to draft a constitution of these nine deputies eight were white and one a mulatto they were selected for their learning and ability very likely toussaint's habitual caution led him to choose men from the two classes that had been hostile to him that there might be no pretext for saying he used his popularity with the blacks to carry any measure he wished among other things this constitution provided that slavery should never more exist in st domingo that all who were born there were free citizens of the french republic it also provided that offices were to be distributed according to virtue and ability without regard to color the island was to be ruled by one governor appointed for five years with a proviso that the term might be prolonged as a reward for good conduct but in consideration of the important services rendered to the country by general toussaint louverture he was named governor for life with power to appoint his successor this was early in the summer of eighteen hundred the constitution approved by toussaint and published was accepted by the people with solemn formalities and demonstrations of joy this new colonial government was to go into operation provisionally until it should receive the sanction of the authorities in france general napoleon bonaparte was then at the head of the french government under the title of first consul governor toussaint wrote to him that in the absence of laws after the revolution in st domingo it had been deemed best to draft a constitution he added i hasten to lay it before you for your approbation and for the sanction of the government which i serve all classes of citizens here have welcomed it with joy which will be renewed when it is sent back with the sanction of the french government some writers have accused toussaint of personal ambition because he consented to be governor for life 
he himself said it was because circumstances had given him influence which he could exert to unite a divided people and that he deemed changes of administration might be injurious until the new order of things had become more settled he assumed all the outward style that had been considered befitting the rank of governor and commander-in-chief he had an elegant carriage and a number of handsome horses when he rode out he was followed by attendants in brilliant military dress and he himself wore a rich uniform on stated days he gave reception parties to which magistrates military officers distinguished strangers and influential citizens were invited there was a good deal of splendor in the dresses on such occasions but he always appeared in the simple undress uniform of a general officer at these parties whites blacks and mulattoes mingled together with mutual politeness and it is said that the style of manners was easy and elegant all rose when the governor entered and none seated themselves until he was seated this was a strange experience for a black man who was formerly a slave and it had been brought about under the blessing of god solely by the strength and excellence of his own character all prejudices gave way before his uncommon intelligence well-tried virtues and courteous dignity of manner every evening he gave free audience to all the people who chose to call his dress was such as the landed proprietors usually wore however weary he might be he made the circuit of the rooms and said something to each one on the subjects most likely to interest them he talked with mothers about their children and urged upon them the great importance of giving them religious instruction not unfrequently he examined the children in their catechisms and gave a few words of fatherly advice to the young folks he has been accused of vanity for assuming so much pomp in his equipage and gentility in his dress doubtless he had some vanity no human being is free from it but i believe very few men of any color could have passed through such extraordinary changes as he did and preserved their balance so well in the style he assumed he was probably somewhat influenced by motives of policy he was obliged to receive many distinguished french gentlemen and he knew they attached great importance to dress and equipage the blacks also were fond of splendor and it gratified them to see their great chieftain appear in princely style the free mulattoes who despised his mean birth would have spared no ridicule if he had been neglectful of outward appearances and in his peculiar situation it was important to command respect in every way his person also needed every borrowed advantage that it could obtain his figure was short and slim and his features were homely though his bright penetrating eyes gave his face an expression of animation and intelligence with these disadvantages and a deficiency of education betrayed by imperfect grammar it is wonderful how he swayed assemblies of men whenever he addressed them the secret lay in his great earnestness whatever he said he said it with his whole soul and therefore it took possession of the souls of others though he paid so much attention to external show in public his own personal habits were extremely simple and frugal there was a large public-house at the cape 
called the Hotel of the Republic, frequented by whites and blacks, officers and privates. Toussaint Louverture took a seat at the table in any chair that happened to be vacant. If any one rose to offer him a higher seat, he would bow courteously and reply, Distinctions are to be observed only on public occasions. His food consisted of vegetable preparations, and he drank water only. He had a wonderful capacity of doing without sleep. During the years that so many public cares devolved upon him, it is said he rarely slept more than two hours out of the twenty-four. He thought more than he spoke, and what he said was uttered in few words. Surrounded as he was by inquisitive and treacherous people, this habit of reserve was of great use to him. Enemies accused him of being deceitful. The charge was probably grounded on the fact that he knew how to keep his own secrets, for there are many proofs that he was in reality honest and sincere. It is singular how he escaped the contagion of impurity which always pollutes society where slavery exists, but his respect and affection for his wife was very constant, and he was always clean in his manners and his language. A colored lady appeared at one of his reception parties, dressed very low at the neck, according to the prevailing Parisian fashion. When he had greeted her, he placed a handkerchief on her shoulders and said in a low voice, Modesty is the greatest ornament of woman. His ability and energy as a statesman were even more remarkable than his courage and skill as a military leader. He was getting old, and he was covered with the scars of wounds received in many battles but he travelled about with wonderful rapidity, inspecting everything with his own eyes, and personally examining into the conduct of magistrates and officers. Often, after riding some distance in a carriage, he would mount a swift horse and ride off in another direction, while the coach went on. In this way he would make his appearance suddenly at places where he was not expected, and ascertain how things went on in his absence. It was a common practice with him to traverse from one hundred to one hundred and fifty miles a day. After giving his evening audience to the people, he sat up late into the night answering letters, of which he received not less than a hundred daily. He dictated to five secretaries at once, so long that he tired them all, and he examined every letter when finished, that he might be sure his dictation had not been misunderstood. The eastern part of the island had been ceded to the French by treaty, but had never been given up by the Spanish, who still held slaves there. Complaints were brought to General Toussaint that the Spaniards kidnapped both blacks and mulattoes from the western part of the island, where all were free, and carried them off to sell them to slave traders. Resolved to destroy slavery, root and branch, throughout the island, in January 1801, he marched into the Spanish territory at the head of ten thousand soldiers. The Spanish blacks were desirous to come under French dominion in order to secure their freedom, and the whites offered but slight resistance. Having taken possession of the territory in the name of the French Republic, he issued a proclamation in which he declared that all past offenses should be forgotten and that the welfare and happiness of Spaniards and Frenchmen should be equally protected. 
he then assembled his troops in the churches and caused prayers of thanksgiving to be offered for the success of their enterprise almost without bloodshed most of the wealthy spanish slaveholders made arrangements to depart to cuba and other neighboring islands but the main body of the people received general toussaint with the greatest distinction as he passed through the principal towns he was everywhere greeted with thunder of artillery ringing of bells and loud acclamations of the populace under his wise and watchful administration all classes were protected and all parts of the country became prosperous the desolations occasioned by so many years of warfare were rapidly repaired churches were rebuilt schools established wastelands brought under cultivation and distances shortened by new and excellent roads the french commissioner room was struck with admiration of his plans and pronounced him to be a philosopher a legislator a general and a good citizen the frenchman levoque who was well acquainted with him and the condition of the people said to bonaparte sire let things remain as they are in st domingo it is the happiest spot in your dominions the historian lacroix though prejudiced against blacks wrote that the island was preserved to the french government was solely owing to an old negro who seemed to bear a commission from heaven strangers who visited st domingo expressed their surprise to see cities rising from their ashes fields waving with harvests and the harbors filled with ships planters who had fled with their families to various parts of the world heard such good accounts of the activity of business and the security of property that many of them so far overcame their repugnance to be governed by a negro as to ask permission to return this was easily obtained and they were received by the governor without anything on his part which they might deem offensive familiarity but with a dignified courtesy which prevented familiarity or airs of condescension on their side he had annually sent some token of remembrance to m bayou de libertas then residing in the united states he now wrote to invite him to return to st domingo the invitation was gladly accepted when he arrived he was received with marked kindness but with dignified reserve governor toussaint evidently did not wish bystanders to be reminded of the former relation that existed between them as overseer and slave return to the plantation said he and take care of the interests of the good old master see that the blacks do their duty be firm but just you will thus advance your own prosperity and at the same time increase the prosperity of the colony end of toussaint l'ouverture part two recording by rhonda fetterman